Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard uh, Community Church. So we continue on in our study of uh, the Old Testament. We are working our way through the Bible, a chapter at a time. We actually started with the New Testament, and we went through five years and change and knocked out every chapter in the New Testament together. And uh, about a year ago, we started working through the Old Testament. We're still in the book of Genesis. We're on Genesis chapter 42 uh, this week, we will continue to work through the Bible this way. It should take about 15 years, uh, give or take. You know, uh, I, I may make up some time in the Psalms because I can combine some of them. So, um, so I don't know. We'll see. And uh, and some of the some of the chapters where it's just straight genealogy, those are those are kind of interesting too. So every now and again, we might gain a chapter, but. Um, very important to work through the scripture this way. There's something about having it in context. There's something about um, working your way through all of the Bible. As believers, really, uh, you know, one of those, one of the things that we should absolutely have done is have read through the scripture. I get that it's, you know, I just think it's uh, something you need to do. And so I want to encourage that and encourage you, if you haven't yet, read through the Bible. You should read it from cover to cover and... Uh, I know people get stuck because there's a lot of questions it raises, but really there's enough stuff available that you can sort of get your questions answered or just make a little list and hold them up, and, but don't let that stop you from reading. But you should, you should work through this thing. There's a lot of amazing stuff in the Scripture. Um, I love reading the Bible. I love... There's nothing like the Bible. Um, there's just nothing. I mean, it's, it's why it's continually been the bestseller forever and ever. It's got everything in it. You know, it's a, it's a fascinating story. It's got drama. It's got, it's got violence. It's got, you know, you name it. It's in the book. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's amazing to watch what happens. And so I think as we, as we you know, as we study it together and we, we put some, uh, some ideas behind it and what's sort of taking place and maybe get a little, you know, as we study a little sort of theological groundwork framework to help us hold it in context and a little foundation, I just think it even comes more to life in the process. So we're working through the book of Genesis together, and I've told you as we've started that that at the end of Genesis, my hope would be that I could ask you, what were the four main sort of things that happened? Who were the four main people involved? And what was the general, the big theme that we pick up out of Genesis? So I review that every week because at the end of 50 weeks, I'm hoping that you know it. And you, you know, I can say it and you don't all look at me like, what are you talking about? We've never heard you ask that or say that before. So the four big events all happen, you know, the first main events are in the first 11 chapters of Genesis and it's creation and the fall and the flood and the tower of Babel. So that's the four big deals that happened there in the beginning of Genesis. And if, if you think about it, if anybody asks you for any of those verses now, you know, okay, well, that happened in the first part of Genesis. If you have an you know, idea that comes up, then from there, it goes into the four main characters. Not that there's, you know, because I'm going to leave Adam off this list and you're going to go, how do you leave Adam and Eve off? They're important, but let's just keep them in, the, in the, uh, the account of creation and the fall, okay? So the four main characters then are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Those are the four main characters in Genesis. Now, the, the main theme that I want you to remember is called the crimson thread of redemption. The crimson thread of redemption starts in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall, and it weaves its way through the entire Old Testament, all the way up through the cross. You will see it 
As we continue on looking through the Old Testament, you will watch it weave its way through the Scripture. You'll see it. Um, we're seeing it already uh, as, as part of that thread of redemption is Abraham and the covenant with Abraham and the promises, and then, and then Isaac moving through him, Jacob. Now remember, in the, in the line now uh, that, uh, that leads to Jesus, Joseph isn't in that line, but he's significant in the story of holding and, and God using him to save the young nation of Israel. But you remember the guy who was in the line was Judah, and, and um, he, his, he wasn't such a great guy. He, you know, at least this part we know about him. But neat stuff, like I always say, God looks at this thing at us through the cross, and it looks way better that way. So uh, when these guys are reported about in the New Testament, they look way better than they do right now. Um, so anyway, we're, we're in the story right now. We're, we're up into the part with Joseph uh, is the main character um, his, uh, his father, Jacob, is still alive at this point in time, but um, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. We've been watching how um, that whole process had been going, and then he was, he was in the, the Potiphar's house, and he sort of was overseeing Potiphar's house, and was accused wrongly uh, of, uh, you know, attempted rape on Potiphar's wife, which he had no part of, tossed into prison. There he was in prison for a while, and, you know, he, raised, he, he was sort of almost running the prison after a little while, but he was still stuck in prison, and then he could interpret dreams because God gave him the ability, and then he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and now, you know, Pharaoh has this big dream that we read about, about, uh, you remember the seven ugly cows and the seven, the seven big cows or skinny cows, or they weren't nice cows eating up the good cows and the grains and all the weird stories, and nobody can figure out the dream, so Joseph gets a shot at it, and he said, it won't be me that interprets it, it'll be God, let me hear it, and he goes, here's what's coming, seven years of really good stuff, you know, everything happening, and then seven years of famine that will just wipe it out, and, um, and then he says, and here's what you need to do about it, you know, start stashing away all the grain now, so that when the famine comes, you'll be, you'll be good to go, and Pharaoh likes the idea so much that he puts Joseph in charge of Egypt, other than him, it's, it's Pharaoh and Joseph. And uh, so pretty significant deal, but God's been orchestrating this entire process in order to take care of his people, Israel, in the midst of this famine, and then they'll be sort of settled in there where they will become a nation. By the time 400 years passes, they will leave uh, a, a, a big nation of people that starts right at this point in time with Jacob and his family, um, which is significant, but it's not what it will be, all right? There's, there's a lot of guys. Jacob has a lot of sons. They've all got kids at this point. It's becoming a pretty big group, but nothing like it will be when they leave in the Exodus. Okay, so um, by the, now that we're in this chapter in Genesis 42, um, the, the seven years of uh, plenty have taken place, and Joseph, you know, has got everything stored away to get ready for this time, um, but there's, there's uh, the famine kicks in, most of the events that we're going to read about in this chapter happened two years into the famine, and so it's started to get bleak uh, in the process already, very different, in five years to go. Think about it, how amazing that is. Um, but uh, because of, you know, um, God working through Joseph, there's abundant grain in Egypt um, for, to get them through the process, and um, uh, people are going to come to Egypt to buy grain. And so not only are they going to prosper, um, Pharaoh comes out really good in this. He ends up with everything because they got this grain and stored it, and they're going to sell it to the people until they run out of stuff, and then they're going to take their stuff, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're every, they, get every, they end up with everything, and the people stay alive, 
but it works out pretty well. And then nations are going to come and buy stuff too, and so it becomes a big, uh, big deal. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, so we're, now we're a couple years in the process. Jacob has a large family. The famine's going on. Um, they're, 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 they don't have enough food for everybody. Things are becoming dire in the process. And they, they all know about food being, this grain being available in Egypt. But it's funny because uh, Jacob confronts all the sons, you know, the, the sons that are there. And he says, why do you keep staring at each other, basically? Everybody knows there's an issue and nobody wants to deal with it. Yeah, we're running out of food. Um, who's going to step up and take care of this? And Jacob looks like his son's like, okay, why are, you, why are you all looking like that? Why are you just staring at each other? And, you know, the, the obvious, if there's food in Egypt and we don't have any food, something needs to happen. But um, it's a long trip uh, from where they were. Uh, the trip they would need to make to Egypt was probably 250 to 300 miles. It would have been a very dangerous trip. Um, a round trip could easily take six weeks at that point in time. And they weren't sure, you know, the sun from the sun's point of view, even after they got there, how would they be received? They were foreigners, um, you know, what was going to happen? Did, and I'm sure that they had in mind that they could be arrested and enslaved since they know something about that. Uh, and so they, they weren't really like wanting to go. But um, what we'll read about is that Jacob finally says, everybody goes, um, but he's going to hang on to Benjamin. He's not going to let Benjamin go and go get some food. Um, so, you know, part of the problem in the whole family has always been Jacob has a way of, of uh, making the rest of the brothers know that Joseph and Benjamin are his favorites and it causes problems for Joseph and Benjamin. And you can imagine the other brothers not being very happy about it and now he's doing it again. Okay, go ahead. I don't, as long as I got Benjamin, y'all can go. <laughs> That's pretty much what he's saying. Here, go ahead. See you later. Hope it works out for you. Not very happy with any of you anyway. What, you know, what was special about Joseph and Benjamin was that they came from Rachel. They were Rachel's natural kids. And Jacob had no trouble playing favorites. That was his favorite wife. And those were his favorite kids. And that's I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you that's what happened. And that whole attitude caused tremendous problems throughout this family. But still, um, that's why you tell all your kids they're their favorite. You're their favorite. <laughs> and you do the same thing with your grandkids. You do it quietly in front of each. You're my favorite. Don't tell the other ones. (laughs) You tell people that too. You're my favorite. It's good. Um, So uh, he wasn't going to send the second of his favorite two sons. He wasn't going to do it. Rest of you go. Go get some food. We're going to, we'll hold on here for, you know, but you need to get back with some food. We're going to start. All right. So that's where we're at. And, uh, what they don't know is how God is at work in this, the, the ten brothers. It's very cool. All right, here we go. Genesis 42, beginning of verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. It'll be up on the screens. You can read out of your Bibles and translations, and that's, it's all good. Uh, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so we may, we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now, remember, the last time he'd sent one of his favorite sons with the other ten, that's exactly what happened. So So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now, Joseph was was the governor of the land, 
and the one who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Imagine trying to think about how Joseph... Anyway. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives... You will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with his life, we pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Wow, pretty big deal now. So they were all staring at the pit while he pleaded for his life, and they were like, whatever. And uh, they're, they're getting a little reality check. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize if Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provision for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brother. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. Go, but bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. The father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I'll bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. 
If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, um, now, now that pretty big deal that he just let loose on the ten brothers, right? You're not taking him. He's the only one left. It could be he was saying, he's the only one I have left with Rachel. Um, but I, I don't know. That would be pretty hard. I, you guys are sort of dispensable. <laughs> not him. And then, you know, you think about Reuben. Well, I've got two sons. You can have them. You can kill them. So, not a whole lot of fatherly instinct there, right? <laughs> yeah, if we don't make it back, just kill them. I, I bet he didn't clear it with the kids first. <laughs> hey, listen, by the way, kids, daddy's got to make a deal. All right, so you, you get the, this is a huge situation, and, and all of their mess now is being stirred back up. Because, um, you know, it had been sort of, it's been, it's been 30 years, right? Well, no, 13, 14, 15, 15 years. It's been a while since this all happened. 15, 16, no, you got the years of famine, 13, 7, 22. So 20 some years. And because and you might go, well, how come they didn't recognize Joseph? Um, it's been a long time. They weren't looking for Joseph. Uh, you know, they probably assumed by now he was dead. They didn't know what was going on. They'd sold him into slavery, but that wasn't, you know, probably a great sentence back then. Um, remember, Joseph is clean-shaven and um, speaking through interpreters, um, you know, to them and not letting them, not so they didn't have a clue it was him. So anyway, that's part of the story. All right, grain, big deal back then. Uh, it was pretty much the universal food source at the time. It was used in nearly everything that was eaten. It could be dried and stored. Uh, it would last much longer than any vegetables or dairy products or meat. Uh, so it was extremely important in the economy of the world, um, and not only was used as a food source, would often be used as a money source as well. So if you had grain, you had what you needed, you lived. If you didn't have grain, you were, you were probably not going to survive in the midst of a famine. And so, um, you know, because of the interpretation of the dream and God making sure um, that Egypt knew this was coming and, and Pharaoh's response and God's moving in the action, they got plenty of grain. And he's, he's putting his people into a spot where they can um, flourish and thrive, um, even though the latter part of that will be in slavery. Uh, but we'll get to that as we go. So, and, uh, so we see, you know, uh, again, Jacob's sort of, you know, he's really fond of Benjamin. Uh, and uh, because, again, he's the, he's the son of uh, Rachel, the only surviving one that he's aware of. And uh, he's the youngest son. That probably plays into it as well. But still, that's, uh, that's all happening in the beginning few verses. Then when we get to around verse 6, um, you have to, you, when you read the story, you have to know that Joseph was not involved in every transaction of grain throughout the entire land of Egypt. Um, we know for a fact that grain was stored in lots of different spots. Uh, in throughout the country and that he had administrators he talked about having administrators that did it God's providence happened to have him there at the time that his brother showed up so it's not like every single transaction for the next seven years was passed through Joseph that would be wouldn't be possible but I, I like I love looking at the stories of God's providence and God moving into situations and you know God is still operating like that today you God will um I think sometimes we write things off as coincidence and chance when it's way more God at work. And we, if you, that's why I want, you to, I want you to think about it and be where I can't tell you how many times in my life where I felt like I needed to see somebody or pray for somebody or had to, and, and almost 
and I haven't seen them in a long time, that they will just show up. And, and uh, you go, oh, what a coincidence. It had nothing to do with coincidence. It was all God moving into situations. And, and uh, I've, seen it, I've seen it time after time in, you know, uh, quickly. You know, my, my favorite story that's in Cuba when I was doing mission work, and we went to meet a guy. We had a guy with us who had met a guy from Cuba five years before, and all he remembered about the guy, his name was Luis. And he said, when we go to Cuba, we have to find Luis. <laughs> well, that shouldn't be a problem. It's 12 million people in Cuba. It's this massive island about, you know, the same length as Florida. And how many Luises can there be? Do the math. With no idea where it would be. Very first night we were in town, God led us to a church we went to. And halfway through that service, Luis walked in. And I, you know, I, for a long time I was got, this is the guy really? I couldn't, I almost couldn't take it in that that stuff, you know, you, you were like, but it, it's, I'm, that is, that absolutely happened. And uh, so I've seen all those, I've just seen that happen. I was at Disney World one time for one of those Night of Joy things with a youth group back when I was a youth pastor and needed to make a connection with another youth pastor. And I couldn't remember his name. And I'm sitting on the, the wall in front of the, that big castle thing they have there. There's a place to sit, and I'm, I'm tired, you know, I, and I've, I've lost all the youth. <laughs> I'm hoping they'll show back up so I don't have to tell the parents. At that point, they were, they, I don't, they're somewhere in the park. Um, <laughs> I think we had a range somewhere, but I actually was kind of enjoying that. So I'm <laughs> sitting there. Don't, don't tell the youth people that now. Um, I don't, I don't stand for that. I'm sitting on the wall and I'm thinking, well, it'd be great if the guy was here because I'd like to meet him. And I'm honestly thinking about that. I looked over and he was sitting right next to me. It's like, yeah. But by then I was like, really? That's cool. <laughs> Who else would I like to meet? <laughs> but that doesn't always work. Yeah, so, anyway. So I just, I say all that, I, that's way off track. The, the providence of God, you have to see that throughout this story. God is working, he still works that way. And Joseph happens to be there when his 10 brothers show up. He knows it's them, they don't know. And I, I can't even imagine, I try and imagine, some, what was he going, what was it, what, would, what was he thinking? Because he didn't know this story. You know, he's quickly going to find out that his father's still alive and his youngest brother's still alive. Because he sees these guys and he's, he's pretty happy about that. But, you know, you wonder why he didn't just go, hey, you're here. I think he, he wants to see where they're at. Um, after all, they threw him in a pit and <laughs> sold him into slavery. Now, and he's, he's amazing in the fact that he's not really holding a grudge because um, he's not. But he does want to see if there's any sort of, you know, how do they feel about that? Have they thought about that in all these years? Was it, did it impact them? I, I think he sort of wants to know what's going on. Um, with his brothers, and, and, uh, and so they don't recognize him. Again, clean-shaven, speaking through an interpreter. Um, and so four times, um, Joseph accuses them of being in Egypt under false pretenses. And they keep going, no, no, no. And then um, they keep saying they're honest men. And then again, I, I already said it when I read it. And that statement, well, then one is no more, must have just been hard for Joseph. Uh, Joseph will eventually, you, you see, he turns around and he weeps. I think he weeps five times in the Old Testament in, in this part of the story. But it's always for something significant, seeing his brothers again, seeing his father again, seeing Benjamin again. Um, 
big, big stuff. Hearing them talk about sort of, hey, this was, we shouldn't have done that. That's a pretty significant deal. Um, and so uh, he takes his brothers and he puts them in prison. Maybe he was, I don't think it was vengeance. I don't know. I was in prison for quite a while after slavery. How do you, how do you here, try this on for size? But I don't think so. Um, I think maybe he was just giving them opportunity to think a little bit. And, uh, and, and, it, it's, and, and really translated their prison, but the word would closer to be custody. So I don't think he tossed them in the bad dungeon. I think he just wrapped them up a little bit and said, okay, you're going to stay here. I don't trust you. And uh, it, it had the effect of getting their attention. Because they started thinking, maybe this is sort of what we get for tossing our brother in a pit and while he pleaded with us for his life, just selling him on to the Egyptians for some earrings and telling this lie to our father for all these years. So, so they uh, were on 15, 16, 20-ish. Um, he, uh, they're, they're insisting they're honest, so um, he gives them a, a test, an opportunity to prove it. Uh, he orders them first to send one um, to Canaan to bring Benjamin to Egypt. And, and that's going to be a big deal because they already know that's not going to work. But, and at the same time, I think he's just stirring them up a little bit. He knows they're hungry. And just he, they couldn't really send enough food back with one to take care of the clan. So he says, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'll keep one. And actually, that's got to sound like a much better deal to the rest of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> hmm. One gets to go. All right, one's got to stay. Yeah, we'll pick one. Um, so they could get food home and they could deal with that whole process. And really, at that time, it would be safer for a group to travel. Somebody traveling by themselves, it could be very dangerous. And uh, I, I, he didn't want his family to starve in Canaan. He cares about his family, even though they, you know, all this has happened. And certainly his father and his younger brother. And um, and so, and he's he's got that dream too. Remember the, that... The, the dreams about the brothers bowing down and then ultimately the father as well. That every, it, he, he knows that, and, and probably he's, because I think you would have that dream and when you were a slave, you weren't thinking how that was ever going to happen. And when you were in prison, you weren't thinking about it. But finally he can go, well, look at this is, here they are and they're already bowing down. This is God's fulfillment of this whole process. Uh, and uh, I think of, you know, the way he treated his brothers. Uh, there's a verse in Romans eleven twenty two. It says, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. And I think this was the kindness of God. Joseph was giving your brothers, but with a little like, hey, you should really look at some of the issues of how you've walked through this thing. And, um, and ultimately, he's giving them an opportunity to move in a better direction and repent. And I think that's a good thing. So um, the nine brothers get ready to go back. And uh, he provides for food in their journey. And... and uh, he, leaves, uh, he says he'll keep Simeon. And I, you know, Simeon was the number two brother and he was kind of the ringleader of selling him off to the Egyptians. So we'll just keep him here. And uh, he might need a little longer to think than the rest of you. <laughs> we'll hang on to Simeon. And he sends the rest away. And uh, he puts the money back in their bags that they brought. Um, and, and so you would think, well, then he's ripping off Pharaoh. But um, the, the, later on in another chapter, next chapter on, you're going to see that the, 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 the accountant had all the money he needed. So most likely Joseph paid for it uh, and sent them back. And he's it, just keeping them thinking. But it's really the kindness, again, working in their direction. And, 
you know, again, you see towards the end of the story, you see this thing with Jacob and how damaging really that thing that he constantly shows with Jacob and Benjamin, uh, Joseph and Benjamin is. And uh, even, and then they come back. So now, so now get this, they come back, nine of them come back from the trip with food to save the family. And Jacob's biggest deal is, why did you even tell them about Benjamin? All you guys ever do is bring trouble to me. Not thanks for the food. <laughs> Good job with that. All you guys do is bring me trouble. Uh, mess, okay? So, you know, should always look for some good stuff in there. I think maybe good job on getting the food. Probably could have left the Benjamin part quiet, but oh way. Uh, but he says, um, he says to them, but there's no way Benjamin's leaving. No way. And so they come back and they're there. Simeon's in, in uh, custody. Um, they have food for a little while and uh, it's going to stay status quo until the food runs out. And then what's going to happen is, Jacob said, we got to go back and get more food. And they said, we're not going back without Benjamin. And he finally asked the cave. We'll read about that next week. But pretty interesting stuff going on. And just look for you know, God's providence in these things and how he's moving. And uh, that's all I had to say about that. Tonight, if you're watching by video, thank you for doing that. We appreciate you. If you ever need uh, prayer, you can go to the website. There's a prayer page there. Let us know. We'll be praying for you. But uh, with that, we will call it an evening.